As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The U, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge. It's a cane thing when we walk through, with the you ain't no bark, dude, straight dog when we bring the fight, ain't scared of no bright. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, your Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic and host. Uh, it's January 6th, Wednesday, around 2.25 p.m. And I love putting a dateline on this every single time because I know that as soon as I'm done with this podcast and I hand it over to my producer, Mike Zimmerman, there's going to be some new news. There's going to be something happening. So I always got to tag, uh, you know, whenever we do these shows, what time we record this at because uh, we know in, in this landscape of college football, especially this time of year, uh, there's so many things that can happen. Of course, I got Kelvin Harris with me. Three-time national champion, uh, starting center on the uh, 91 national championship team. And uh, Kelvin, you know, it's been an interesting time since the end of the season. I did a podcast last week without you, um, you know, sort of recapping the season and and discussing kind of everything that went down. Um, We'll leave that at where it is. I mean, Miami's eight and three. They finished eight and three. Uh, They improved over last season. And uh, I know people have a lot of opinions about, you know, Manny Diaz and how much improvement they really made, et cetera. But um, in your eyes, we'll, we'll let you give your opinion first. What was your overall thought on the eight and three season and the way things ended? Well, obviously, you know, it was good, but it could have been better. Um, you know, we had some improvement in certain areas and setbacks in others. But overall, I thought it was a good season. I mean, we got hosed. I mean, personally, I, I mean, you know, obviously six and eight drop passes that cost us the game. But I think the uh, the refereeing was more of a deterrent than the drop. And the drop passes were just bad. Mm-hmm. But when you go back and look at those calls, you know, despite the drop passes, we should have won the game. And then the Carolina thing is just perplexing, I guess. We're, we're good for one what-the-fuck game every year, and that, that was it. Um, but games that we would have lost last year, we won. Um, they fought through adversity. I mean, honestly, besides UM, all these kids at all these schools, this has probably been the most difficult year that they'll ever go through playing football. And the fact that they finished the season is an accomplishment. Now, that being said, we got to get into spring practice and hopefully we can get a full spring practice in and we got to have some competition at a couple of positions and people got to step up because, you know, we got the 800-pound gorilla coming first week of the season, but we got a lot of guys coming back and they seem to be pretty um, focused on the mission. Well, you got you to be Put your hands up the first week, because if you don't, you're going to get busted in the mouth. Your jaw going to get broke. So um, the fact that, you know, Jalen and uh, Roche opted out, gave us a chance to uh, 
get Cam Williams and Jafari Harris feet wet in a full-time capacity. So that was good. Now we just got to figure out the corner position, the linebacker position, and we'll be all right. Well, I'm glad you, you mentioned, uh, you know, pass rusher, cornerback, linebacker. Defense is, is so much of the focus it feels like now since the season ended because everybody's looking at, uh, you know, what changes man you might do on the defensive end. We're going to get to that uh, a little bit later in the show because I wanted to start with what happened yesterday. And, and you mentioned the wide receivers in, in, in the bowl game, six and eight, who you've now no longer named. Yeah, they <laughs> They're they're right there with fifty seven and seventy five. <laughs> right, they've lost the, uh, they've lost their names. Um, but you know you had a uh, Devontae Smith win the Heisman Trophy last night uh, for Alabama wide receiver. The first time that's happened since nineteen ninety one. Yep. And I, and I, and I think from a bigger perspective, and we'll talk about who Miami's looking at in the portal and all that kind of stuff. But I think from a bigger perspective, it was noteworthy because it shows you how much the game is transitioning to wide receivers. And, you know, how, how important it is to really recruit high-end talent there. And a big reason why Alabama is in the national championship game this year and has remained uber competitive here since they kind of went away from that ground and pound offense that Nick Saban loved is they've recruited the hell out of the wide receiver position for years now. Yeah. And it's such an important position. And I think for years we kind of took it for granted at Miami you go back and you look at the great teams that won national championships. I mean, 83, 87, 89, 91, 2001, they all had first round pick caliber talent at the wide receiver position. Every single one of those teams, yeah. um, you know, guys who were in the hall of fame or going to be in the hall of fame. And yeah. I, I just think, you know, you look at the history of what's happened at the wide receiver position at Miami. And, and I, I threw, I've thrown this stat out there before, there's only been one wide receiver drafted in the first round since Andre Johnson in 2003. So again, you, you can't always measure it by where guys get drafted, but it can certainly tell a story. Um, you know, Miami's had some guys picked at the wide receiver position. You know, Travis Benjamin has gone on and had a, a nice NFL career. Uh, Braxton mm -hmm. Berrios was doing some good things here for the Jets at the end of this season. Um, but Philip Dorsett, he's the only wide receiver who's gone in the first round in the last 18 years. And to me, we saw in the bowl game how important it is to have reliable threats, guys that can catch the ball and, and take the pressure off of defense. And I know Miami's looking in the transfer portal right now. Oklahoma's Charleston Rambo is a name that's out there. Uh, he's a guy who was the fourth leading receiver last year. You have Houston's Keith Corbin, who played with De'Aaron King in Houston in 2008. And actually put up a bunch of big numbers, 40 catches, 691 yards, 10 touchdowns. But I think, you know, the focus of the wide receiver position, upgrading that has to be a big deal for Miami here in the years to come. Agree or, or disagree? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what happened this last year or so. Um, we just, we've never been like this. Um, we're just, we don't have a, a playmaker. Um, Harley started stepping up at the end of the year. And I think he comes back, he can be elite at that slot position. But you need the outside guy. Like, it's almost moronic that we don't have a deep threat. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's like a fat kid not eating cake. It just it doesn't, it doesn't go together. So that's why I have a lot of high hopes for 88 Keyshawn Smith kid because a couple of times that he played, you saw the potential for him to be the deep guy. And if we can find – and I still got hope for Redding and, and Peyton. Peyton wasn't 100% healthy, and I think the offseason will get him healthy. Uh, Redding fought – you know, some injuries early on, and then he was in the he was in the uh, COVID situation for a couple of weeks. So, you know, a lot of those kids, Smith included, didn't get any rhythm in the season. You know, one because obviously they didn't have a spring, and two, you know, training camp was 
different. And then you get into the season and you're in contact tracing. So they never got a rhythm. That's why I think this spring practice would be important. But I, 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 I was hoping that, you know, Brinson and Smith could enroll early. I don't know. Do you know if they're, because I know that, you know, the Brantley kid said he wouldn't be. So that makes me wonder if uh, Brinson will be able to get in early. Well, I, I can tell you this. Um, I know a lot of kids who are having issues because of what's happened with COVID and the way the academic year has been affected. Um, I know that a lot of them have been trying to get all of their paperwork and all of their online classes finished on time. But I think I'm trying to remember when it is exactly that my that the final day to register for classes. I think it's January 22nd. Um, I think kids have to be in class by January 22nd because I, I think the first day of classes is is the 18th, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So I think you have that five day window to get in. And I think what's happening is with a lot of these guys, you know, the classes that they're taking to to graduate early, um, it's kind of going up against that 22nd deadline. You know, when they're going to get the paperwork, when they're going to be able to turn it in, how quickly they can get it in. And so, you know, a guy like Leonard Taylor, who's obviously the number one recruit in the 2021 class, he also announced he's not going to be making it in uh, the spring. And when I talked to Leonard during his signing day ceremony uh, last month, you know, he was he was gung ho. He thought he was going to make it in on time and, and be able to start working with David Feely and whatnot. But uh, I just think it's more of a product of what's been happening with COVID and the slow system to be able to process kids. So um, I think unless, you know, you're you were a really, really, really good student and you were way ahead of the game. Uh, I think some of these guys, unfortunately, are running into hiccups here with with their paperwork and being able to get to school on time. So I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know which of those receivers are going to be able to get in. Um, I haven't checked you know, with enough of them um, to ask, but I know all of them, I know from talking to the majority of these recruits, um, they were all hopeful they could get in in January, but there was no guarantee. So that's, that's what I can tell you as far as whether or not they'll be around for spring ball. And and while it would be great to get them for spring ball, I think the more important thing is that at the very least they're in there for early summer because the training to me, the physical training with Feely, the nourishment, the nutrition, all of that, yeah, um, is is probably the more important part. You'd love for them to be able to be in there in January, taking classes and, and getting the head start. But I think as long as they they're training with with Feely by the end of May, early June, that's the most important thing. Yeah, I agree. But I would really love if we could get Brinson and Smith in, or even Jacoby George, because I think if you can get those two guys in early. They can be forces next year. I mean, they have that ability. We need, um, we need a breakaway threat. We because I think what people don't understand is, you know, Harley and Brevin Jordan could be lethal, but there's still not an outside threat that keeps them from putting eight in the box. Mm-hmm. And as long as people don't fear you down down the field, they're gonna stuff the box, and the numbers ain't gonna never add up in the running game. Right. So you gotta, you gotta make them, you gotta, gotta make them back up. I mean, never seen anybody crowd Mike Tyson, right? <laughs> so you gotta have that Mike Tyson punch to let them know. You get too close, you're gonna get burned, and we just don't have that because I, I don't know what it is about number eight, but he just don't have it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, I think, you know, I talked to... um couple scouts and, and people about um Miami's receivers and you know I think with 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 D Wiggins when he was coming out of high school I know you're not going to name him but I should uh for our listeners uh when he was coming out of high school you know he was a three-star kid he was seen as a big body kid who could be a project who could really come along and develop by the time he was a junior senior and really help you and I think you know the one thing he has been consistently good at and the reason why he plays as much as he does is because of his blocking um, he's, he's a really good 
blocker, especially on wide receiver screens. And, you know, at times on the edge, he can, he can block guys downfield to help spring running back, et cetera. Um, but his hands have been the issue, you know, and drops him and him and Mark Pope. Um, Pope is the one that to me is more baffling because, you know, he was supposed to be your deep guy, your guy who ran nine routes and caught balls and beat, beat defenders. The problem was he just never, he's never had the elite speed. He was, he was going to do it with athleticism a lot, right? He was just going to out muscle guys for balls. He was going to, he was going to be a magnet. And not only did he come in here, not knowing the routes and how to run the routes uh, besides a nine route. um, I think he, he also just struggled with confidence. And so, um, unfortunately for Miami, it's just been, you know, it's been disappointing because you wanted more out of those guys, but I will tell you, I mean, let's not forget, uh, they didn't just recruit D Wiggins and Mark Pope. Brian Hightower was supposed to be a guy that developed. Remember he was the big time recruit that they got uh, a couple years ago at that position. And he's no longer here. And yeah, he's tapped out. He's over in Illinois and he mm-hmm. might be looking for his third school because there's no telling what could happen there. I mean, he caught a couple passes for them, but for whatever reason he tapped out. Right. And then you also had the, the the kid from Georgia who's now back at Georgia Tech. Um, what's his face? I'm forgetting his name yeah. now. Marcus Ezzard. Marcus Ezzard, right. I mean, they had four guys that they identified as, you know, being able to to help them in that 2018 class. And two of them are gone. And the other two guys have kind of, you know, just sputtered here. And I would say that, you know, unfortunately, last year's freshman group that they that they were able to kind of cobble together at the last minute. Um, you know, adding a guy like Keyshawn Smith without even taking a visit to Miami. Um, you know, those guys, I think, were hurt by the fact that they didn't get a chance to have a full spring. And so um, I think Keyshawn Smith, you know, you identified him as a guy who could take the top off of defense. I, I agree with you. I think he's the one guy that consistently flashes and shows you something. Um, Jeremiah Payton, to me, is a little bit more of a disappointment so far, you know, in the two years he's been here that we haven't seen more from him. Um, but I, again, I don't think he's had a ton of opportunities. And well, he's been, he was hurt. Right. And he was also missing some time too, but he's a guy that, you know, I think you still have high hopes for because he was the number one recruit in your, in the 2019 uh, recruiting class, the guy that everybody was like, okay, he's going to be the best player that they got. And, and, you know, maybe here in the second half of his college career or the next two years, he, he becomes that guy. We'll see. Um, but, you know, look, I, I think Miami wants to try to go into the transfer portal and get one guy to come in here, kind of like what they did the year with KJ Osborne, especially if Mike Harley leaves. I think if Mike Harley leaves, which we still don't have an answer on as of, you know, two 30 here on, uh, on Wednesday, January 6th. Um, but I think it, if Mike Harley leaves, it becomes a much bigger deal. If he comes back, then maybe you can survive next year with, you know, getting more from Jeremiah Payton, getting, getting more from Keyshawn Smith and then, you know, what you whatever you can get out of guys like Romello Brinson and, um, you know, the, the freshmen that they're that they're bringing in this year. So but ideally, if they could add a Charleston Rambo from Oklahoma or a Keith Corbin from Houston, I think that'd be great too. Um, you know, have another option that you, where you don't have to rely on, as you said, six and eight to come through and make a big plays for you. So. Anyway, that's receiver. Um, there was some action in the transfer portal here in the last couple of days. Number one, um, you know, Miami used one of its three available scholarships on DeAndre Johnson, a defensive end from Tennessee kid who comes out of. Yeah, was, to me, it was a good, a very good pickup. I want to say great because I would use great for like Jalen Phillips because <laughs> that's a great pickup. I think I think DeAndre Jordan is going to be very good pickup because I think he's going to be a positive influence in what could potentially be a very young defensive end room. Um, you know, we still don't know what's going to happen with Zach McLeod. Is he going to stay at defensive end? Is he coming back? Is he running off and going somewhere else? Um, you know, I think obviously he's a guy who could be a veteran leader in that room, but DeAndre Johnson at least plays the position. He was productive in the SEC, had four and a half sacks, uh, you know, and and I know some people – you know, who look at the transfer portal on 247 Sports, you know, start looking at it and say, well, look, there's a four-star guy here and a five-star guy here. I can tell you, I spent most of last night just going through linebackers, okay? Just going through linebackers, five and four-star guys and three-star guys. And there are a lot of guys in the transfer portal who have done nothing in their college careers. And that's why they're in the transfer portal. Um, Exactly. There's only a few who really have done much. So when you think of previous success that Miami has had with the transfer portal, getting a KJ Osborne, getting a a Jalen Phillips, getting a Bubba Bolden, those were like, I mean, that's like as good as you can get 
in the transfer portal. I think for the most part, you're going to end up with more guys like DeAndre Johnson, who maybe weren't superstars at the school that they were, but they were solid contributors. You know, even Quincy Roche. Quincy Roche was the uh, American Athletic Conference Defensive Player of the Year. So again, that's to me, those are four huge, huge signings by Miami when they, when they got those guys. But I think there are more teams looking at the transfer portal now, more colleges, um, seeing some of the success maybe that Miami had and a few other schools had, you know, besides the quarterback position and, you know, investing in guys. So it's going to be a little bit more competitive. And I think DeAndre Johnson, obviously the connection there is with, you know, Coach Cooney, who, who was at Southridge before, um, you know, uh, that's where, where DeAndre played his senior year. He was at Miami Killian before that. So uh, a, a great pickup. In the meantime, Miami loses Patrick Joyner Jr., another kid from down south in the county, a, a kid out of South Dade High School who really didn't have much of an impact here, unfortunately. I know he dealt with an injury for a while and then uh, came back this year and just couldn't get on the field. I, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out. Sometimes kids just don't. Yeah figure it out where they're supposed to, but you know, you know, right now that's where we stand. I know this, I know that they're looking at cornerback. I know that they're looking at linebacker. I know that they're looking at wide receiver for potential help. The wide receivers to me, I, I almost feel from, and I, and I did again, preliminary research. I, you know, I haven't been digging my, my, my toenails and fingernails into every single position, but my preliminary research on linebackers is it's not very good. There's not ma- very many good no. options. At all, really? No, and uh, the kid that they were there is there is one guy, the guy from USC is pretty good, yeah. Pele Gayotete or Gayotiotes or something like that. I think you pronounce he's a Hawaiian kid out of uh, out of Bishop Gorman, yeah. Um, 6'2, 250, and you know, his younger brother, uh, Ma Maya or something like that. You pronounce it, I can't pronounce his Hawaiian name, so I apologize for murdering it. He uh, he signed with Michigan State last month. He's a yeah. 220 pound outside linebacker and his older brother. There's some people who think he's going to end up at Michigan state. I, I reached out to our USC reporter last night and uh, at the athletic. And I asked him, I said, what are you hearing on this kid? And he said, look, I, I heard it's either Michigan state or Miami because of all the Bishop Gorman guys who are at Miami. I have yet to reach out to anybody at Bishop Gorman. I have a phone number for someone. I just haven't gotten around to calling him to, uh, to try to find out what's going on with this kid and what he's thinking. But, uh, I think there was a report in 247 Sports. I don't know if it was Ivan's, Andrew Ivan's, or somebody else who who said something to the effect that, um, you know, he had had a conversation with Miami, but it doesn't look like he's going to come here. But who knows? Um, but there there are a bunch of different names in there, man. Um, and, and it's funny, um, Calvin, because the majority of the kids are like four-star kids. They really did nothing. Like, I, I went there and I sifted through their entire career. When did they play? Who did they play against? How many snaps? How many, you know, tackles? All that kind of stuff. And there's not a whole lot there in terms of qualities. A lot of these guys just got to those schools, didn't get on the field. Um, there's a there's a kid in there, Jack Lamb out of Notre Dame, who was never a, played, never played at Notre Dame. He appeared in 12 games, had 13 tackles, and most of those were on special teams. The kid out of Michigan, Jordan Anthony, a four-star kid, um, played in 16 he played games. Played a little bit. Yeah, nine at linebacker. That's it. 11 tackles in his career. Um, there's a there's a kid, Jaquan Yuli out of Marshall. Um, who had a, uh, I think, a serious neck injury in the season opener in 2019. He never came back, hasn't played. Um, there's a kid out of Utah who was a four-star recruit, signed with Stanford, ended up coming home to Utah, and now he's back in the portal. Uh, I think he played a total of 23 snaps <laughs> in his career there. Um, so this, the pickings are slim. The, here are some guys. I'm going to mention two of them that I found that I thought, okay, or two or three here that I thought, okay, they've done something with their career. Dimitri Moore out of Vanderbilt, 6'3", 234 pounds, uh, three-star recruit from Cedar Hill, Texas. Um, he entered the transfer portal in November, um, but he had his grandfather who died from COVID-19. That's why he kind of stopped playing the rest of the season. He opted out, um, but he was pretty productive. Uh, SEC yeah, all – what's that? I remember him. He's pretty good. Yeah, SEC all-freshman team in 2018, started 10 games as a freshman, 84 tackles. And then back in 2019, he led the team in tackles with 99 tackles. And then, of course, played the four games this year uh, before he decided to opt out after his grandfather passed away. So to me, you look for production at a position and a guy who has some sort of a track record playing in a big time conference. To me, Dimitri Moore should probably be the guy that they're looking at. He's 6'3", 234 pounds. If he went to Vanderbilt, you know he's smart. He couldn't get in there if he was an idiot. So, um, you know. (laughs) 
I, I just think that's a guy that they should be looking at. Um, somebody else who is actually has a Miami connection, but he kind of has a little bit of a troubled history here. Eric Mitchell out of UCF, uh, 6'1", 238 pounds, out of Miami Central High School, three-star kid back in 2016. And he was actually a pass rusher when he came out of high school. Right. And he got to Central Florida, and he he started out as a pass rusher. He was just too small. Mm-hmm. They moved him to linebacker, and he actually did a pretty good job. Yeah, 1,300 snaps on defense, including 10 starts, five in 2020 at weak side linebacker. He didn't grade out great, according to Pro Football Focus. He had 40 tackles, two and a half for loss, and essentially <coughs> – five games. The problem for for Mitchell is he was among four players kicked off the team in November after, I don't know if you remember this incident, um, Kelvin, but uh, Antoine Collier was pulled over one of their safeties and arrested following a traffic stop. And Mitchell was in the car, uh, smelled of weed. Okay. And, you know, they had an AR-15, a Glock pistol and another firearm. So they were, you know, him and three other teammates, they were all kicked off the team almost immediately. Uh, especially after the incident kind of turned ugly with police. Apparently they started cussing at the cops and, and telling them not to arrest uh, Collier. So it just didn't end well. And then UCF decided to part ways. That's according to the Orlando Sentinel. Um, so that's the history with Mitchell. But in, t- in terms of production and experience, you know, maybe he has a conversation with Manny Diaz or somebody in Miami's recruiting office has a conversation with him and they clear clear up what really happened. And, and he's an option. I don't know. That's one guy I came up with. And another one here this is a third guy I'll mention. Kyle Bailey out of Western Kentucky. He's undersized. He's a former safety, six feet, about 225 pounds. He's probably more like a striker type, but the guy was productive. Um, Three-star recruit, 2017 class from Georgia. He was Conference USA honorable mention in 2020 and 2019. Had 109 tackles, including six for loss with three interceptions and five pass breakups in 12 starts in 2019. And then this season he had 76 tackles, including eight and a half for loss with three sacks and interception and 11 starts between middle and weak side linebackers. So those are three, three pretty good names. Agree or disagree, Kevin? What do you think? Yeah, that's about as good as it's going to get. <laughs> At linebacker anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I again, I, I, and that was me spending a few hours just kind of, diving through the names and trying to find guys. And those were the inside linebackers, you know, guys that I thought, you know, could, could play in the middle, which I think, you know, Miami might be in pretty good shape with Corey flag. I think, you know, having him come up as long as he stays healthy, I think you'll have a really good middle linebacker. The problem for me is more weak side. And can you get a guy to, to help in coverage and, and do some of the, the tougher assignments. And I know they've got high hopes for some young guys. Manny Diaz has a lot of confidence and, you know, some of the young guys they've recruited in the last two cycles. But again, it's it's almost like defensive end. You'd like an experienced quality senior or upperclassman. And those three guys would fit the bill, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I like the Moore kid probably better than anybody. Mm-hmm. But I'll say this. I think we're full spring. Corey Flagg takes over the mic. And Sam Brooks is going to probably be the start of the will. But I tell you what, Tariq Austin Cave and Avery Huff with a full spring, I think that that's going to be interesting because, mm-hmm. you know, I saw when Cave, Austin Cave got the game the couple of times he was in, he looked promising. And Huff has got a lot of potential. It's just a matter of, you know, the light going on. But, you know, you got to hedge your bets here because I think Manny and the staff are probably thinking we're not a good team. We're on you know, the verge of being a great team. Got everybody back. Got some continuity. So if they do go to the portal, it's got to be a guy that fits this culture. Yeah, I, I agree. Mean, and, and I think there, you know, there might be a guy out there. Like I said, I think the Dimitri Moore kid would be perfect. Like you said, he's smart. He's got good size. And he, he, you know, Vanderbilt was everybody's homecoming in the SEC. So he's played against every tough team. Right. Yeah. I, I hope the coaches listen to this podcast if they haven't already called him. <laughs> Maybe I got to message somebody on Miami staff and be like, have you found out about Dimitri? You should do that for me since you talked to those guys anyway. You should be like, hey, what about this Dimitri Moore kid from Vanderbilt? Um. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, they got two scholarships left. 
Uh, we mentioned the receivers, Corbin and, and Rambo. And I know Corbin, you know, he's got the history with De'Ara King. I'm sure De'Ara's probably angling for his boy to come to Miami uh, to come catch for him. So maybe that's who uh, they end up getting a receiver. And we'll see what happens at cornerback. I like I like some of the guys that they have at cornerback. I think Couch, I like his attitude. I like the way he plays the game. I know from talking to a couple of scouts um, the last couple of days that they think, you know, he's going to be a good one at Miami. Um, and they also like Isaiah Dunson and his size and some of the raw things that he brings. So, um, and don't sleep on on Clark either. Clark has that instinct for the ball. I mean, I like what we got going on at corner. It's just that we don't have enough of them. Right. You need bodies, and I think you know maybe they go the high school route, sign another one, or maybe they move Jalen Harrell out to cornerback. You know, he was the guy who they brought in as as a as kind of a hybrid, a Minka Fitzpatrick type. And I think he started off at safety, but maybe he moves the corner. I don't know. We'll see what they do like to, to address it exactly. Well, if you keep Malik Curtis at corner, it's going to be interesting because you can play straight bump and run because ain't nobody out running home. Yeah, and I, and, think, and I think that's more of what Manny would like to do is play that man-to-man bump and run, you know, be, you know, put pressure on the opposing team versus the zone that we saw them in the first – quarter against Oklahoma yeah. State because that just did not that did not work out so um we're gonna get to the coaches in a minute but we, we, since we are talking about the secondary Bubba Bolden announcing he's coming back uh is a big deal for this defense he played more snaps than anybody else and you know the one thing I'll say about Bubba is I like his attitude I, I, when you when I talked to him after the bowl game he was angry and upset that they lost that game and I think that you need more of that. You need more of that sort of infused anger from some of these guys. Um, I'm not saying that they didn't feel the loss and weren't upset by it, but it's good when your leaders, the guys that you count on, sort of express that 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 message of, hey, I'm angry we lost. We need to win. This isn't acceptable. Um, and, and I like a lot of the ingredients that Bubba has. Um, you know, him announcing the comeback. I know he was entertaining the NFL. There were – you know, there's not a lot of great safety talent in this draft coming up. And Bubba could have potentially gone somewhere probably in the third or fourth round if he had a really impressive combine. And, you know, he's got the physical skills. Um, I'll tell you, Dan Brugler, uh, Dane Brugler, who works with me at The Athletic, uh, who, who does a lot of the uh, evaluations uh, of players um, for The Athletic and, and comes up with his own, you know, sort of, draft rankings, et cetera. He said that, uh, you know, it was a smart move for for uh, for Bolden to come back. He said he's clearly talented, but the negative reps piled up on his 2020 film. He'll be one of the more intriguing senior safety prospects uh, going into next season. And um, he also said that, you know, the one thing that was kind of hurting Bubba was he was constantly biting on double moves and missing open <laughs> field tackles. Um, so, yeah. He has some bad angles, but let me tell you something. He's going to get that right. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things I'd like to see him work with is maybe getting with Amy Deem and working it on the on the track with more straight-ahead speed because that's going to help him at the combine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, he, he's got playmaker ability. Oh, uh, there's no doubt. I mean, the deflection that he had against Florida State that led to the pick for Blades, um, you can see that he has a lot of the natural instincts you want, but I mean, that's why you come to college. You come to get coached up and to, and to improve. And so um, that'll be interesting. And what's going to be interesting is who's going to be coaching them. Right. Cause we don't know the answer, the answer to that yet, of course, because, and this is sort of like a, a seamless transition to the next topic. Ephraim Banda um, taking the job at Utah state, taking two uh, grad assistants with them, two guys that were heavily involved in, in, in coaching Miami uh, among the grad assistants and then also taking Demarcus Van Dyke, who was in Miami's recruiting department, to go be his cornerbacks coach. Although, I'm telling you, man, I still got a feeling that who knows if DVD ends up back on this staff uh, with some of the other things going on. But let's start well with, with Banda. Let's start with Banda and the safeties. Why do you say that? Because I had a conversation with somebody today who seems to think that he could end up being the corners coach. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, and I heard this on Sunday um, when Bruce Feldman and I reported. I actually heard it Saturday night, but uh, when Bruce Feldman and I reported it Sunday morning uh, for The Athletic that Banda was leaving, um, the conversation Bruce and I had 
um, was that there's a chance that something might happen for DVD where he may not end up going to Utah State. And I don't think he was announced at Utah State as uh, being on staff there when, whenever it was that they put out their announcement yesterday, Tuesday. Um, but, you know, this coaching thing, just for the listeners to, to understand, um, it's very fluid. The same way recruiting is very fluid, the way a kid could say, I'm going here, and then at the last minute change schools, it's the same thing with coaching. Like, these coaches, you know, when Banda took off, you know, him and Manny must have had a conversation at some point, and he said, hey, I'm going to take these guys with me. And Manny might have said, okay, I'm going <laughs> to – that's fine, but I want this guy to stay. And, you know, that those kind of negotiations and conversations that happen between coaches, especially two guys that are friends like Banda and Diaz. Um, that's why when you're like, well, these, this person's saying this and this rumor is saying that, that, that's what it is. It's conversation. It's rumor. It might happen. But I can tell you from having conversations myself directly with some of these people involved that they don't even know that they, you know, they, they're told something and they think something's going to happen, but they don't know for sure until it really does. And so while there'll, there'll be a lot of internet reporters and people out there on Twitter posting stuff because they're hearing this or hearing that. Yeah. And Herald reporters. <laughs> hey, I, I know, I know you, well, that's a whole nother story we'll get to in a, in a little bit, but I, I just, I want the listeners to know that when you see me or Bruce Feldman tweet something, and, and it, even if it comes after somebody else puts something out there, it's because we waited for it to be confirmed on both sides. And that's what happened. Saturday night may have been even been days before that. I, I had heard that Banda had accepted the job at, at Utah State. But I wanted to confirm with Utah State because it's one thing to hear a coach say that on one end, but you got to confirm it on the other. And so Bruce did that. Bruce reached out. Bruce is obviously one of the most connected reporters in all of college football does an excellent job covering it. He's an, that's why he's a national guy who makes a ton of money. Um, and, and so, you know, he confirmed it and that's why we reported it Sunday morning. And, and so all of these things, I will tell you, you know, all these rumors you hear, we hear it. And, and the reason we don't report it is because we wait for it to be completely 100% confirmed on both ends. Because if you don't do that and, and something changes because of the fluidity of the situation, then you look like an idiot. And so when DeMarcus Van Dyke, I know everybody's like, oh, DVD is going for sure. I was like, uh, I don't know. I'm not hearing that that's 100% done. And sure enough, when, when Utah State makes its announcement Tuesday, um, and that's not the case. So anyway, I just wanted people well, to understand they, about they, the timing. Have, stuff. They, have they acknowledged DVD at all? No, I, I, they have yet to. And I think part of that is, the, again, the fluidity of the situation, as I heard, on on Sunday, um, you know, from from the Utah State side and and from 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 I guess the Banda side was, it may not happen because of uh, circumstances here at Miami because of other coaching changes. So um, you know, again, that's why I said all of this is fluid. That's why you don't see you know the the, the big name reporters who have responsibilities to be right reporting stuff right away at times because if it it can change and so. Anyway, that's that's the history and, and sort of the makeup of that kind of thing. Um, so Bubba Bolden, we, we talked about him coming back, what it means, who's he going to be coached by? We don't know yet. Uh, I'll tell you this about the other coaching changes. I spoke I spoke to somebody uh, very close to Mike Rumpf, and I guess he's he's been told that he's going to be reassigned. I know people have written that he's fired. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think from Mike's understanding, you know, being the cornerbacks coach at Miami, he's been reassigned. He's waiting to see what's going to happen. Um, and then as far as the Todd Stroud stuff, I have yet to been able to confirm that independently, that he is definitely 1000% stepping down. I know other people have reported that it's going to happen and it seems likely, especially considering his previous health situations and, um, you know, everything that kind of happened with the defense and the team this year with COVID, but you know, I, I again, when you mess with people's careers and you're reporting on people's career, you've got to be 100% right. And I think it's going to happen, but I can't tell you with 100% certainty that that for sure is going to happen. And so we'll see, you know, when Manny Diaz is ready to announce all that kind of stuff, that's when it'll be officially official. Um, but those are the those are the three changes that are likely to happen. Um, you know, I think two for sure definitely have me. Banda, we know for sure is gone. And then, and then the thing with Rumpf is, uh, you know, I know for sure he won't be coaching cornerback. So um, you know, what are your thoughts, man? Who do you think they got to go out and get um, to maybe re- replace those three dudes? Well, safety's coach, I'm really. I mean, honestly, I just, 
I don't see there being a, a silver bullet to come in and just so much better a coach than the rest of the guys. Okay, maybe you could say Nick Saban is safety, but what are the chances of us getting him to come in and be the safety coach? I mean, you know, come on. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, and then I see people talking about, oh, we need to get T-Rob to coach the corners. He'd be a great fit. So you're saying the guy who got his coach fired, who's been recruiting with bags all this time, who can't use bags here, whose corners were suspect in the SEC, we want him as a coach. Yeah, okay. Well, those names all get uh, recycled. You know how it is this time of year. Um, I, I Look, I, and I think he's going to end up in the SEC anyway because uh, Florida, I guess, is looking – uh, for, for people, and, and he's got experience having been there before. Um, the names that I've mentioned in my article today, these are these are guys that I think make sense to me. I wouldn't say that they're the favorites. I wouldn't say anybody's giving me some sort of insider information that this is going to happen. This is just what makes sense to me based on their recruiting ties to South Florida and what they've accomplished. I mentioned among the defensive line coaches, Charlie Partridge. Of course, he was at FAU, did a nice job. Uh, recruiting um, the area, you know, hat coach Rashad Weaver up at Pittsburgh. You know, he's a guy that I think makes sense. Um, the guy who was here before, Jess Simpson, you know, the Falcons just finished uh, firing their coaches. You know, he might be a guy who um, comes back to coach at Miami. He's always loved, he, he loved coaching here. He coached some good players and it can certainly help his resume. Um, he recruited a lot of the guys that, that are here now, by the way. Um, and then your boy, Kevin Patrick, you know, former Hurricane All-American who uh, is at FAU. He coached at NC State, USF. And then the other name I mentioned for defensive line coach uh, was a Miami Carroll City high grad, uh, Brian Williams. He's the defensive line coach at Maryland, who obviously, you know, he, he helped, he's helped recruit some South Florida guys to Maryland. So um what do you think of those four dudes uh, if, you know, they end up replacing Stroud? I think it's going to probably come down to KP or uh, Simpson. Mm-hmm. I could see Simpson getting it over KP for the simple fact that he gives us carte blanche in Georgia recruiting. But he and KP both are fundamentally sound coaches. Uh, we could we win either way. Okay. I obviously would like to see KP in because one of the things I think that is missing Look, there, the Jimmy era is, you know, the bread and butter of this this legacy. And I think, you know, no disrespect to Ed and Rump, you know, because they were on championship team. Great, maybe the greatest team of all time. But it all goes back to Jimmy because, you know, you're around Jimmy. You know how to do it right. And the techniques they were teaching on defense, the way they taught to run, how to pass, how to play slip block, KP understands all that because not only was he taught that way, but he played that way because, you know, he played the position. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that when those kids come to uh, practice, they look up on that gate and they see him, they know he's going to push them. Right. So I think he would he would be my pick. But if he wasn't going to get the job, I would say Josh Simpson. And we're good either way. But the other guys are good, good candidates, too. Mm-hmm. No, they're all to me. All four of those guys are would make sense because of their recruiting ties and because they know the, the area well. And I think Manny wants that. He wants good recruiters. I think that's an, that's arguably as important a job as whatever they do coaching, you know, is being oh, able to recruit well and, so and, and bring guys in more important. Yeah. Um, and then de- defensive backs coaches um, here, are a couple guys that I think make sense. Uh, the kid out of uh, Syracuse, Nick Monroe, who um, he, he's recruited the South Florida area for a long time. I think it makes sense because he's a guy that, you know, he's progressed as, as he's, as, you know, as a coach here over the last several years, um, he's well liked by a lot of the kids here in South Florida. And I think, um, you know, he's a guy who could make sense as, as one of the defensive backs coaches. Uh, Wesley McGriff, who of course was here under Randy from 2007 to 2010. He's at Auburn or was at Auburn with the previous staff. Uh, so he's a guy who's available and, and experienced and he's won in different places. 
had success. And then, you know, a guy who I've known for many, many years now, uh, from back when I was the high school guy at uh, for the Miami Herald, uh, Corey Bell from U- UCF, who's been tied at the hit with Randy Shannon for a long, long time. Um, you know, he's, he's coaching cornerbacks over at UCF, but he's a guy who makes sense because he was director of football operations here under Shannon. And, and like I said, coached at Miami Edison, played at Miami Edison, played at South Carolina. So he's got SEC experience, you know, having been in that conference. And so those are three names that I threw out there, just as guys who I thought would be potentially good hires. What do you think about, you know, maybe the DBs coaches? I mean, I hear the Nick Monroe guy, I guess, you know, he does recruit Florida. South Florida, of course, he's never yanked a big time recruiting Syracuse, but those but their DBs do look real well, do, do play well, do look good. So, mm-hmm. you know that that says something about him. Um, Corey ain't leaving Randy, right? And I'll tell you another name that I think two names that would be interesting. I think one of them more so than the other. Uh, Roland Smith and Patrick Sertain. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, those names were floated about the last time um, there, there were coaching changes as guys that who could potentially join the staff. And Roland's a guy who's paid his dues for many, many years at the high school level. Um, but I don't, you know, it's funny. It's like Roland, I think has had opportunities to go places and turn them down in the past. Um, and then Sertan you know, obviously his son is finishing up now at Alabama. Um, I think he's enjoyed coaching at American Heritage. Um, but I don't know if maybe Manny's a little apprehensive because he he took Rumpf and it didn't pay off with getting any of the American Heritage kids besides Nesta. And Well, well I think that was the wrong idea to begin with. Right. You don't take a coach because there's a couple of good players at that school. I mean, yeah, he's got affiliation, but, you know, them kids, especially those kids, because they come from, you know, pretty good families. They right. don't need the bread. They're going to go where their heart tells them. Right. And so, but I'll say this. I thought Rump was a good teacher. I mean, you can't. No, Rump, can't Rump is him. an excellent football coach. I mean, I think the issues are pretty well established. It's just he, he, he needs to be coaching in the pros because he doesn't. It just seems like he doesn't, know, you know, enjoy recruiting and so you know and and a lot of coaches and you know this i mean a lot of the guys who played in the nfl who made it they don't feel the justification of having to recruit guys like hey you want to come to miami good i want you to be part of the team but if you don't and you and you're you know you're saying i want to go to alabama or you're playing games i mean it's hard as a coach to maintain like having to having to continue to recruit a guy when you know he's probably not going to come to your school that's a tough pill to swallow. And then, you know, Rumpf is a hurricane. He's a national champion. He put, put his heart and soul into this program. On, and there's not a lot of people of support him, supporting him either. There's a lot of people criticizing him because of the recruiting. And that's got to sting, that, was a, that's sting was, as well. On top of that, he was a first-round pick. So yeah. let me tell you something. Rump is a unicorn-type individual in that he's a first-round draft pick who's sitting on a nice load of cash who – you know, I'm not saying he took a pay cut to come here, but, you know, he, the money's nice, but it's not like he needs it. But the thing about it is, and this is the boy that's in coaching right now, all the best coaches aren't coaching. I right. mean, Dion is a for real, for real unicorn, a multimillionaire, superstar Hall of Famer who has good coaching traits who actually coaches mm-hmm. and I'm just interested, you know, growing up with him and knowing him, if he can keep this up more than two years, because I mean, we're talking about a lot of dedication. Now, mind you, his life is sports, but still, I mean, he's got 250 acres out there in prosper and he's got to give all that. Actually not he's farther out than prosper. I mean, he's built a lake out there. He's fishing. He's got everything, you know, he can, fly where he wants to go he's on tv he's doing commercials and now he's going to be confined to jackson mississippi right and that's the problem you're asking you know i saw this one dream this one person's dream lineup and you know some of the guys they had i was like please 
Ed Reed, Warren Sapp, Andre Johnson. Yeah, that's not going to happen. I mean, you're talking about guys who played multiple years and who got you know money. They're not um, they're not going to give up their freedom. No, and and, and people got to understand. And you're friends with Dion. You're friends with uh, Sap. You know, guys that you, you're very well plugged in, Kelvin. I, I think people don't realize that you know for these guys, they love the game. You and Sap talk about the game all the time. And you break it down and they could sit there and coach, but it's an entirely different commitment to to spend your life, your years, you know, after football, after all the commitment you already made to say, okay, I'm going to go coach these other kids who a lot of the time aren't as grateful as they should be for for getting the the knowledge that they're being shared. No, they ain't. It's a thankless job with some long hours. Yeah, thank this job with long hours and a lot of recruiting and a lot of texting and a lot of, you know, all, all that all that kind of stuff. And it's it's a it's a tough job to do. And that's why, you know, as great as as Miami's uh, history is with great players and great coaches, um, you know, people would say, well, why can't you get more of the of the of the guys who were here who were part of it to come back? I mean, Dan Morgan, I had a long conversation with him, um, you know a couple months ago when I wrote that article on, on the, on the 2000 Miami Florida state game. And we talked about just what he wanted in life, you know, and for him, you know, he loves football. He wants to be plugged in with it, but he also wants to have time for his daughters and his family. And so being in an NFL front office, while it's very long, hard hours, you know, a lot of it can be done, you know, from home. He can, he can watch film. He can make phone calls. He can, you know, coaching is an entirely different animal because you got to be in the building, you got to be recruiting, and it's it's just a it's an entirely different animal, and that's why the NFL is so much more, I guess, attractive for a lot of former players versus college ball. Well, like what Mike Barrow said to me on the podcast, I did with him, said, you know, high school, the parents are responsible for the kids, and the pros, they're adults, so they're responsible for themselves. But when you're in college coaching you're responsible for them 24 7 and you still got to do you know you got to call and all the other stuff so it's real tough on them it's a lot of time consuming then you got kids and then you got to move your family around so you know like with mike he's living in charlotte now he's not trying to coach again right i mean just some crazy hours it it really is crazy hours and um Look, I wanted to get to this last point um, because I think in all of the stuff that Manny Diaz is doing in terms of the defense and the tinkering, um, you know, a lot of people wanted him to go out and hire a big name defensive coordinator, you know, and, and to bring somebody else in here. My sense, and you can, you know, I want to get your opinion on this, Kelvin, but my sense when talking to people is, and even his actions, what we've seen happen so far, if Manny was going to do that, he, he probably would have had a big name in mind already. There would have been some some sort of big action. He would have fired the entire staff um, because he would want a new defensive coordinator to come in and and completely reshape the defense. That's not what's happening here. To me, it's Manny still has his fingerprints all over this defense is what he does. He is the defensive coach, and he's tinkering with the lineup of coaches versus wholesale changes. So my thought or my, I guess, projection – or belief is that um, whatever shifting of, of what he's doing here on the roster in terms of the coaches on the defensive side of the ball, I think Manny's going to continue to be very involved. Who knows if he even takes on play calling duties this coming season and whoever he hires will be guys that execute his vision versus come in with an entirely different vision. Agree or disagree with, with that sentiment. Totally agree. I mean, it's, it's sort of like that now. I mean, because him and Blake, Blake, do the game plan and call together. So why not, you know, continue that? Just like you said, tweak, add some guys that you feel like you're comfortable with and just keep it moving. Yeah, I think I think that's really what they're doing. And uh, the last thing we'll get to here um, is the Tyreek Stevenson thing, because I know that's kind of a sore point for you. Uh, I know you're going to talk about it in your own podcast, but uh, I know uh, there was a report in the Miami Herald about Tyreek Stevenson, uh, you know, that's being a player that that Miami really covered. It's the former uh, South Ridge cornerback who was uh, who turned basically burned Miami at the last minute. The Hurricanes really thought that they had him. And then he ends up signing with Georgia um, and going up there to play. And I, 
I know this is kind of a, a point of contention for you because, you know, you lived through the, uh, through the days when Miami was hit with sanctions and, you know, the Nevin Shapiro stuff. And I know you're bothered by the fact that Barry Jackson wrote about, you know, Tyreek Stevenson being a player that Miami covets. Um, I'll say this uh, in defense of Barry. I think as a reporter, you know, when that information is out there and, you know, people are talking about it, especially in the position he's in, I think, you know, he, he he's sharing the information. He's making uh, people aware of what it is that he knows and, and is being discussed. And whether or not that crosses a line into tampering and other sort of issues, um, you know, for the university is a different deal. I'll tell you this. I, I just looked it up. I spent some time researching it. I haven't seen any cases of tampering yet, like, you know, in the NBA, you know, people messing with players on other coaches' roster. I know it's a fear of college coaches, but with uh, it being open season, right, with this year, with this free year of eligibility and, you know, guys being able to transfer and go elsewhere, et cetera, um, you know, I'm willing to bet, the more I thought about it, I'm willing to bet somebody at Miami did put that in Barry's ear because (laughs) – they want Tyreek Stevens to know, hey, if you want to leave, you can come here. So whether or not that's tampering, whether or not that leads to another Nevin Shapiro uh, deal, I don't know. I don't think it will. Um, you know, another deal where you have sanctions and whatnot. But uh, I think, you know, I understand why you're upset as a former player, and I understand why some other pe- readers and people were upset with it. Well, yeah, first of all, um, if he wanted to come there, he would put it out there. Right. He was sending feelers out. You know what I'm saying? So he doesn't need the media. Mm-hmm. You imagine if um, when Derek King was trying to make a decision, he did that and wrote that article about King. What do you think would have happened? Right. You know, or um, Roche. Right. No, they have to go about it quietly in their in their own right. Um but I will say this, Miami fans have been talking about Tyreek Stevenson for two years. And will he come home and, you know, posting that on message boards and, you know, all that kind of stuff. The rumors have been out there. And, yeah, it, I know it coming out in the Miami Herald, the, the biggest publication covering the team down here in South Florida, uh, doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't help Miami's cause because then, you know, Georgia could turn around. And, and as you mentioned, there's already a podcast, right? Who, uh, what was the name of the podcast? I think it was Dog Nation. Yeah, Dog Nation already brought it up as Miami tam- tampering with Tyreek Stevens. I'll tell you what, I, I know the uh, reporter for Georgia for the Athletic, Seth Emerson, uh, reached out to me to ask about, hey, what's going on with Tyreek Stevenson in Miami? Um, you know, I, I can tell you, um, look, like if that kid wanted to come home, he'd be home already. And the fact that he started and played, I don't, I don't think it's happening. So, nah, they're gonna keep him there because uh, he, they know he already wanted to leave. Yeah, and I know this. He's here at home in South Florida, and I can tell you, players are not expected back in Athens until January thirteenth for Georgia. So, I guess if he doesn't show up on January thirteenth, maybe he's already at Miami. Who knows? Um, yeah, well, he had to he had to start the the process to get in school here, but right now, right, and all that would happen with the transfer portal and you know putting in the paperwork and all that kind of stuff. But you know, look, we'll see what happens, man. Um, I think, um, you know, you you can be mad at Barry, but if it happens, I I don't necessarily think Miami's going to get in any trouble because Barry wrote about it. To be on, just being honest with you, I think you know if Tyreek Stevenson decides to leave. Uh, he'll he'll have every right. He wasn't quoted in that story, and he'll have every right to to just say, I don't know what people were talking about. I wanted to come home because my family, you know, I wanted to be closer to home. So um, there's plenty of ways to avoid it. I get it. It causes trouble with the, uh, you know, the people who are who are watching things for the NCAA. But you know, I, I don't think it would be a serious issue. I don't think we got another Nevin Shapiro on our hands. I mean, I know y'all trying to do your job, but come on. I mean, that just that's just bad optics. Right. I know. I know you don't like it, but hey, that's why we're the media. We're the bad guys, right? <laughs> yeah. We're the bad guys. What can I tell you? All right, Kelvin. Listen, man, I appreciate you coming on with me, doing the show today. Uh, it was a great, fun podcast. Uh, I want everybody to know where they can listen to your podcast and get your thoughts, because I know you, you're going to have more to more to give on that topic. 
Yeah, I'm probably gonna do an airing of grievances show this time. I'm a more excited thing about the uh, you know, the year in review. But yeah, I think I'm gonna do an airing of grievance segment. Get get some things off my chest. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the U podcast, but on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcast, it's Miami Dash Huddlecast. There you go. So if you want more Kelvin, that's where you know where to find him. We'll, we, of course, are happy to have him here at Wide Right whenever we can get him on uh, to talk football with us. And I thought, you know, this being an interesting period uh, with all these changes and transactions and players entering the portal and all that kind of stuff, it was a good time to bring him on to get his thoughts on uh, on what's happening and to provide some perspective on, you know, coaching and, and what happened and, and whatnot, since you got a lot of friends in coaching. So I appreciate all that. Uh, make sure to tune into us next week. We'll have another show. Uh, probably recapping everything that happens. Uh, I'm expecting some answers from uh, Brevin Jordan and Mike Harley here soon. Uh, I think the deadline to enter the NFL draft is January 15th. So those guys, if they're going to go, they've got to kind of file the paperwork with the NFL or they'll be back in college, I guess, uh, next year. So we'll see what they have to say. We'll see what happens with these coaching changes. But for now, that's what we got. That's tonight's, uh, that's today's Wide Right episode for The Athletic. I'm Manny Navarro. We'll see you next time. 305, 954, 568. This is the state of Miami. Y'all know y'all come down that way.